Hey everybody, thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app. Or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. One of your products you make are the wheels for a horse and buggy? Yeah, that would be the hydraulic wheels on there. Um, that history goes back. It's for the Amish carriages. Uh, they have an eight-inch drum brake. And the wheel cylinder is actuated by a master cylinder, just as a car. Uh, there are two of them on the rear wheels. And inside, of course, they have the piston. Uh, the design was based, originally it came from a 1946 lightweight truck. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Our guest on the show today is Jay Souter of Souter Machine in Plymouth, Ohio. One of Souter's specialties is using sophisticated CNC equipment to make hydraulic wheel cylinders for Amish horse-drawn buggies. Jay and his 10 employees are all members of the Mennonite Church. Earlier in his life, he himself drove a horse and buggy, while today he chooses to drive a pickup truck. However, his employees all ride bicycles to work. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. We are honored to have Jay Souter of Souter Machine in, where are you in, Ohio? Yes, we're in Ohio, and it's a pleasure to be on here. Well, yeah, thank you so much for coming on Swarfcast. Sure. To start off, why don't you just tell everybody what your company does, uh, what you guys make, etc., and then I'm going to get your story. Sure. Yeah, we're a, we're a small machine shop. We have, with Dad and myself, there, there are 10 of us. And uh, we do a production. We kind of started out staying on the most parts that you can hold in your hand. But now we're starting to get into bigger items, such as uh, rotors for Parker Hannafin and some larger shafts, which can weigh up to 50 pounds, 60 pounds. Some of our large, the largest parts are like 140 pounds. Wow. But the smallest ones are uh, small adjustment needles. They have threads on the external um, if those are like, uh, I forget how long they are, but you can hold a thousand of them in the palm of your hand. So they're really, really tiny. 
which would ideally be Swiss work, but we do uh, turn it on a conventional um, conventional lathe. So. Why don't you buy a Swiss? Uh, it's not that we are against Swiss. I mean, it's a DMG Sprint 20. It has the Swiss capability. Oh, okay. Um, so far, so far, we've been able to do uh, all that we need to do with the equipment that we have, but it is always that option. We kind of, I guess my theory is Swiss is kind of its own world where conventional turning, uh, the differences. So it's just something we didn't reach out yet or we didn't feel that we have uh, the reason to get into that. But the options are always on the table. We, mm-hmm. we like to play around with a lot of different stuff. So. And you, uh, one of your products you make are the wheels for uh, a horse and buggy? Yeah. That would be the hydraulic wheel cylinder. Um, that history goes back. It's for the Amish carriages. Uh, they have an eight-inch drum brake, and the wheel cylinder is actuated by a master cylinder, just as the car. Uh, there are two of them on the rear wheels, and inside, of course, they have the piston. Uh, the design was based originally. It came from a 1946 like uh, lightweight truck. It was actually built by Ford. I believe the original manufacturer was Wagner, uh, Wagner Brakes. And I guess the Amish back in the day, like in the 60s, they would go to junkyards and collect the wheel cylinders off the junk trucks. Interesting. They would, they would jerry-rig them onto their carriages. And then Wagner discontinued, and then an aftermarket company started selling them. Uh, and then like 12 years ago, well, more than 12. It would have been like mid-2000s when everybody's offshoring. These wheel cylinders got offshored as well. And they started importing them from China. And I guess the first ones, the quality was kind of okay. And then they could, then they just started going downhill from there. Um, the, the Chinese manufacturer switched from using pot metal for the piston to just a generic steel piston. And the, uh, the uh, casting was such a poor quality that they would rust before they would get over by both. Oh I mean, God. they would receive them and they would have to take a punch and pound out the pistons and grease them up. And then it would work for three, four months and then they would quit working. So I think it was in 2012, the winter of 2011, 2012, um, one of our customers that works in the coach industry approached us about making a whistle that works. We had originally looked at casting and then we discovered that we before that we didn't know anything about hard coat anodizing, but as we were researching, we were like, well, what if we would make it out of extruded aluminum bar and hard coat anodized? And so we made some um, sample parts. The one customer uh, put set up a bench test unit he tested it to 50,000 cycles at 1,000 PSI, and they couldn't find any wear on it. Do you anodize at your own shop? No, we have a company in Wadsworth, Ohio, that does the anodizing for us. They're about an hour and a half from us. Where in Ohio are you? Uh, we're in Plymouth, Ohio. But it's about 15 miles north of Mansfield. We're 30 and Interstate 30 and 71 intersect. We're about 15 miles north of there. Okay. It's about halfway between Cleveland and Columbus. Uh, all right, so you're making... Um... So these wheel cylinders, we developed a new wheel cylinder, and it works very well. We eliminated the kit 
in the spring, the cups that go inside because they didn't work well because the smooth, we roll burnish our bore so smooth that the, uh, the, the uh, rubber cup would stick to it. So we went with an O-ring design on the piston. And you guys came up with this whole system yourself? Yes. And since we've been in production now, we've made over 100,000 of them. So that would be over 50,000 Amish carriages, which are a lot. Wow. And we also re- and we also redesigned the master cylinder, and we produced over 29,000 of those in the past six years as well. So. And can you get much money for those from the... Amish? I mean, is, do they... Yeah, they, we have two distributors that sell them. Uh, they would actually be competitors. They, they went half and half as far as the tooling and building the fixtures and everything because we invested quite a bit of money. Uh, we bought the machining center just for that. We really kind of stuck our heads out on it. But, um, and then our, our customers took up the cost of building the fixtures and stuff, so... That is it was so kind of interesting. Bumpy year too, but once it, once we got it working and got it fine tuned, uh, they sold like hotcakes. I mean, just just this past week, we shipped out another 500 masters. We sell masters in quantities of 500 at a shot, which is like every. Well, is it because these wheels they the wheels wear out? I mean, no, no, these parts do not wear out. They're just that many Amish, and they kind of tend to. <laughs> I get roughly said they, they tend to reproduce at a high rate so ah. um, that's, big, that's, a, <laughs> that's a big boon for us i see so i didn't I, of, I was wondering I, I you know so the amish community is growing it's not dwindling no no it, it definitely is growing um i think at this there's some research done and i think at this point in time uh 65 of amish are under the age of 18 so that means probably in another 20 years, we've got to add two more horizontal machining centers just to keep up. I don't know. <laughs> but if you do the math, oh my I, God. Think their birth, I, I think their birth rate is like 6.2 uh, per family or something like that. It's, yeah, it's, well, they're, keeping, they're, they're helping keep the birth rate of this country afloat. Yes, uh, I, I would say. So you, say, uh, you are... Mennonite, correct? Correct. And we that, are more liberal. That's kind of, you guys liberal. are like the cousins of the Amish, sort of, for lack of yeah. a better term. Yeah, I mean, if you dig into that history, the Mennonites, um, well, my parents, I was older Mennonite until several years ago. I now drive a car, but uh, we're still what we could consider uh, Mennonite. We're what they call car driving Mennonite. Um, are the communities pretty pretty close in proximity, usually? Uh, Mennonite or Amish. I yeah, think they're, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, do you, do you guys, your, your neighbors generally, so is that... The Mennonite, the older Mennonite that drive horse and buggy, like I used to, um, we're generally in the states of, like, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, here in Ohio, this particular community. And then you have Wisconsin, Kentucky, um, New York, and Virginia. And... Uh, there used to be a community in Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. Well, there there were two communities in Michigan, but there's one up there. That's the old order. Then the car driving, or the more liberal Mennonite, uh, those are in like most of the eastern half. I mean, anywhere in like Georgia, uh, all the way up to Maine, Massachusetts. And then Amish, I believe, are in all, I think they're somewhere like in the lower 44 states. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any in California, uh, New Mexico or Arizona, but, um, I think there might be some in like Northern, um, Texas. And then, well, does um, it, does it help you in selling to the Amish that the, the fact that you are Mennonite, is that, does that give you a definite, uh, sort of an insider? No, not necessarily because we launched a new product. Uh, they're currently importing the hub, the carriage hubs from, uh, from China and the quality is quite poor on them to, I mean, that's our opinion with my dad. I mean, I'm a fourth generation machinist. My grandfather generation. Yeah. My great grandfather was a machinist. My grandfather was a machinist. And then my dad's a machinist and my dad grew up running a number four Warner's Wacy turning curry chubs, uh, at the age of 14. And then when he got married in 1980, he started his own business uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And he started, he kind of, I think the first year he did like small engine repair and then he kind of got into the machine work more. So Um, the Warner Swayze was, were those running on electricity? Yes. Mm -hmm. So Mennonites use electricity versus Amish are off the grid. They generally have like a diesel power. So even though, even though you guys weren't driving cars, you were allowed to use electricity. Yes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. We have the modern, I mean, we have washing machines and you know, the modern convenience, but we don't, as far as entertainment, we don't have radio television. Oh my God. You know, so what do you, what do you, what do you, let's totally deviate for a second. When you're sure when you're not, uh, you know, working out with cool CNC equipment at the shop. Um, what are you doing for entertainment while everybody else is Netflix and chilling? <laughs> well, with the, with the machine shop right here, 150 feet from my house, um, it's kind of hard to get away from the shop, but uh, I don't have a whole lot of hobbies. I mean, there are people, you know, within our community, there are people that, you know, like go fishing, hunting, uh, spend time with the family. I mean, I usually always got some project I'm working on in the shop or something, you know, something to do in the evening. Yeah. But if I, if I want to just kick back and relax, I'll pick up, uh, either ESA today or economist or, uh, some sort of reading material. I guess that might be a hobby. Um, yeah. Are sports, are you told me before that you played sports when you were younger, are sports, legit among Mennonites? Yeah, it's among Mennonites. Uh, like during the weekends, it's, you know, youth gathering, uh, they'll play volleyball or baseball. Uh, usually baseball is like reserved for Sunday afternoons. And then, um, and same with street hockey or ice hockey. I would, I, I would catcher during the, during the summer, our baseball team, I was catcher. And then, um, in the wintertime when we played hockey, I was goalie. So, okay. Uh, well, what I about by the time I go ahead? Well, uh, <laughs> sorry to interrupt. I mean, you so probably, was, you're probably familiar with Kingpin, you know, the, the movie about the Amish bowler, uh, Kingpin. No, I've oh, heard, you, you, heard if, if you ever, if you ever, uh, decide to, you know, Actually, in, 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 you, uh, in secret in secrecy there's an it's a hilarious movie 
be, you know, the popular shows like The Witness and Conservatives. I'm sure you've heard of the Amish Mafia. I saw the uh, one show. I thought it was the stupidest thing in the world, but it was still intriguing. It is. It is. It's like, it's only like 2% of it is true. Not not going off on, on really stupid, but... I've actually been myself on a TV show. Uh, if you Google it, it's called Living with the Amish. And it was a film company from the UK. Uh, that was, we kind of got dragged into that one. That was kind of, which I, I've, I've watched the show and I felt, I mean, I wouldn't agree with it 100%, but the I stuff totally that they presented, the stuff that they presented, the stuff that they showed, and the part that we played and stuff, I felt they did a pretty good job because it's really hard to get inside a culture. You know, it's really hard. Like, if yeah. an outsider comes and wants to, you know, see how you live and the way you perceive the world, it's really kind of hard to get that on film. But I thought they did a pretty good job of it. They, But it's called Living with the Amish. And I think it's like six episodes. Oh, I totally got to check that out. Okay. Yeah. Jake, I think episode three or four, but we kind of got off track there with the machining world, but that's okay. (laughs) No, no, we're you know you know us. We're all about yeah. We we we're all about the people here. We we want to we we want to you know delve into all kinds of things. Absolutely. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. Let's get back to um, machining uh, in your business, so you're fourth generation, you are 30 years old? Yes, yep. Okay, and uh, and so you work with your dad, and were you working with your brother before? Yeah, he left the company back in 2008. He kind of wanted to uh, get, in, he wanted to get a degree as a medical doctor, and then he kind of got sidetracked and kind of went on the violence. Uh, he's now into bioengineering. Okay. Um, research, and y- research development. But he was kind of the brains behind it going from paper. I mean, I still remember when we had a drawing board in our office. And then back in 1999, he first bought the uh, first, no, that would have been the second version of Bobcat Cam, which I think they're probably like in version 27 or 28 by now. I think we, we had it up until version 22, but uh, we now use like Gibbs Cam software for for the uh, machining side, and then we use Elibre, which is now called GeoMagic, um, and we also use uh, trying to think the other we recently bought uh, OnShape, which is a pretty nice software that's an open. It's it's, it's pretty. I really like it. Interesting. Um, so OnShape, I guess the uh, the people that started SolidWorks went and branched off and now started Onshape in, uh, in CAD. So that's pretty, if you ever get a chance, check that out. Okay, pretty, we will. Well, it, maybe it's we'll, a neat yeah, we should seek them out for a story or, or, or something. Um, 
So you, what age were you when you went into uh, the shop? Well, I went to a one. I went to a one-room schoolhouse, and I went to eight grades. And then after you get out of school, which is at the age of fourteen, thirteen, fourteen, and yeah, I is that even legal? Uh, it is if if you work in your own in your dad's shop. If it's a parent, like it wouldn't be illegal to be running like dangerous machinery, but you can do that. Mm-hmm. Like we couldn't hire, like we could not hire somebody at that age, but being my dad was the owner of the shop and it it's on his property and I'm his son. And if I would get injured, uh, that would not be an issue. Right. It's kind of like, if you look at the farms, you know, father, son farm, you know, 14 years old, driving a tractor, somebody gets hurt. Yeah. It can be a legal thing, but if, if it doesn't, if you're not hired by somebody, that is so um, interesting. So and yeah, there is there there is definitely legality there. But I mean, you are you you seem so like you know tech savvy. You're one of the most you know. We talk to people all the time, and some people, mm-hmm. I, I mean, some people sort of know the equipment, but they. You know they yeah. they rely they rely on uh, the OEM for you know to hold their hands and some people like you right. you seem very uh, you're a, a an independent well, person you guys you, you it seems like you're a little more self reliant than some of the other shops um, yeah you might say that I mean I it's not that I'm super savvy on, on repairing equipment. I mean, Lester Weaver, our uh, engineer slash programmer slash troubleshooter, like he's really good at repairing equipment. Like we have never had any OEM or any other repair technician wow. in our in our shop. So between have you ever him bought and a that, new machine? Uh, yes, we did. Back in 2004, we bought a Haas tour and lathe. And mm-hmm. we still have that one. And it's, we don't do, I mean, it's like one-offs and prototypes that we do on that. But as far as any other bigger equipment, no, we have that. We like to buy older stuff, fix it up, drag it out of the junkyard, fix it up and make it like restore it to new condition and use it. And your dad is, your dad is kind of like, he's the, one of the guys rebuilding and resurrecting things. Yeah. We bought a, we bought a ten inch capacity vertical bandsaw. It was a Casto. It was built in Western Germany, which that tells you it's old. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> we we bought it for like five grand, and we and the, and the OEM had all the parts for it, like down to every nut and bolt they have in stock in Pennsylvania. So we bought a bunch of the parts that you know were wore out or you know. We could have made them, but like way wipers and, you know, the carbide wear plates and stuff like that. So we bought like $2,000 worth of parts and you have a bandsaw that is, you know, as good as the steel company works very well. And yeah, it, it's minus the amount of hours you get into repairing. Uh, you, you can build yourself some really decent equipment, but it's like my dad, he's, he's got a really good eye for that. Like, yeah, you know, we think you were telling me that he, you you bought some trobs in the eighties or something. What? 
Yeah. We have two. We bought, it's a Trout TNA 480 and a 480L. The L is the long bed. It can get 80 inches between centers. It's got a SMW hydraulic steady rest, fully programmable, live tools, 12-inch SMW chuck. We bought both machines. There's like a, there were four pallets of chuck jaws that came with them. And 100 and 183 tool holders, 40 of them were live. Wow. And yeah. And what'd you pay? What, what did you pay for it? Uh, 25 grand. So by the time we had it in our shop, we had about 30 grand invested in it. 25 right grand. Now, that's, that's actually yeah. a lot for a machine in the 80s. I would have thought that'd be headed for the scrap heap. Yeah. No, 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 no. Not a trowel. These are beautiful. They have original paint. All the paint on the inside is original. They have, they're granted. They're 20,000 hours. The one is a 20, and the other one's oh, a 20,000 20, hours. Hour shot. So right. we, well, what, what were they doing for the last 30 years? I don't know. But they were, and I believe largely that most of those were power on hours, according to what we see. Every, I think they never reused any chucks. Like they would set up and make a couple parts like they would you know use the soft jaws machine the jaws to what they need and then they would use it once and then put them on a pallet because it was just incredible the amount of jaws that came with it wow you the way you the guys guy, you guys are treasure hunters better than better than we are i'm i'm <laughs> well because you guys know which, what you want so that yeah well we never really well except for the horizontal machining center for the wheel cylinders we never really bought a machine with a certain job in mind. It was just like, wow, I like that. Price is good. It feels right. And then you just buy it. It's if, like- if only other people were like that, though, because, you know, we, we come up with some, some very interesting machines and everybody always wants to have the job for it before they buy it. True. Nobody true. wants to buy it on spec. So that's very interesting about you guys. You guys find... Something that you say, this could be useful, and it's an amazing deal, and now we're going to find work right. for it. That's your process? All right. Well, if you, st- if you keep in mind, if you stay in the lower dollar amount where you're only giving, you know, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 to 60 grand for a machine, you can do that a little bit easier versus if you're giving $175,000 for a machine, you definitely want a job for that. Yeah. When you... You know, when you make an investment like that, you definitely want some work lined up for it. But if you're making smaller purchases like this, the 480L, I guess I might as well say that we did have a job for it, but that job didn't materialize at this point in time. I expect it might be you know another six months until that job gets into production. But we turned two jobs on and out, and it works great. But what, yeah. the reason those, those trials are really cheap is because their controls are odd. They're like nobody, you're really hard-pressed to find somebody like that likes to run a TX-8 control. But, At least in the United States. Right. We have, a, I mean, we have, I mean, of all the machines, we have trial, we have DMG, we have Index, we have Mazax, we have, you know, Matsura, Herco, OKK with the Thanos, we have Ikigai, we have Haas. So, you know, take your pick. See, I like and, that. You guys aren't prejudiced against one brand or another. It's just what that, what kind of works. 
I kind of see where some shops like to have, you know, up just the Maysack control, but for us, it didn't work out that way, but not too bad. If you have a good set of guys, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I mean, to be able to switch from one control to the next. Well, that's what I and, think, but yeah. I think some people don't, they're just closed minded or they don't stretch to, yeah. to be well, versatile. If, you have, if you're, if you're struggling with employees that, you know, struggle to wrap their heads around the control, I can see where that would become an issue where every machine has a different control and you kind of got to learn the backstory before you can run it. Um, that becomes, that does become an issue. Are most of your employees but, Mennonite? Yes, they actually, they all ride their bikes to work. So Interesting. Uh, actually, with Lester, Lester Weaver, he recently uh, uh, went to, he also started attending um, a more liberal Mennonite church, so he started driving in the past year. So, uh, but yeah, all the rest of the guys, they ride their bicycles. And same with picking our employees here, uh, it's not that we put out applications to hire people like I personally go and hunt them down. I like, I, I kind of get a backstory of a person and then I figure out if they would be a good fit. I generally like if they didn't work in another shop. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I have, uh, one guy's a retired dairy farmer. Another one, you know, uh, used to work in construction. Cause if you get him green, you kind of can train him from the ground up. Right, and, and then not, you can say, "Hey, you're going to learn all of these controls," rather than, uh, "Yeah, I'm uh, only index or whatever," you know. Right, or if they have a preconceived idea of how things should be done in the machining world, you can say, "You know, this is how this is done," and that's, you know, the way that you prefer them to handle a tool, or you know, this is how you hold a micrometer. You know, not like a C clamp, but you know, it's a delicate piece of equipment. So. Versus if a guy already dabbled in machining and he already knows that, you know, quote unquote, you're not really going to, you know, change his ways. But if you can teach them yeah, uh, from the ground up. So we have a very low turnover rate. I mean, in the past, like I said, in back in 2009, when we were a three-man shop and now we're a 10-man shop. Uh, and when did you have, become, when did you become the, you're the, the president or... Yeah, Dad and I kind of traded seats. Uh, 2016, I became owner slash CEO, president, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, and you've enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not that anything changed except the title. I mean, I Dad never liked office work. I loved it. So in 2009, when I started taking more interest in in the business, and you know. Uh, kind of took his job of doing the office work, but he was always there. You know, if I would say, you know, does this price look right? You know, he would always have uh, his input as well and still does. Right. Right. So it, it works both ways. We have a lot of fun and I, you know, there's some people that say, you know, I hate my job or whatever. And it's like, dude, get a new job because I'd hate to think of having a job and not liking it because that would be a miserable place because you're going to spend eight, nine hours a day at your job. So why not, find something that you like to do but you didn't you it took you a while before you felt like uh it it fit you is that is that true or um, well you know and when you're a teenager you don't know which way you're gonna go so once i hit the nineteen twenty mark i was like well you know i gotta figure out what i want to do and i 
rather do the office work than send out by the machine and feed a part machine, you know, feed, feed the parts into the machine. So, so you're not uh, wrenching on a machine. You're, you're, you're more just strategy. Yeah. Putting fires out, you know, going from one, one machine, you know, the employee has problems with feeds and speeds, you know, I'll go and troubleshoot that and, or, you know, ordering material. You manage. Yeah. Yeah. Just general manager. You might How do say. you guys get customers? Because you, you're sort of, I mean, are you um, are you on the are do you have a website or? We do have a website. I mean, it's a single page, you know, click here to contact us type of deal. But it's not that we we don't advertise. It's word of mouth. If you do good work, you if you do good work, you'll never run out of work. That's basically what it comes down to. I mean, I we we had a steel salesman from A&M Castle that I was friends with and, you know, we'd shoot the breeze whenever he'd stop by. And that back, well, back in 2015, he was like, hey, I got a part in the back of my car. I want you to take a look at it and see if this is something you can make. And it was a rotor for Parker Hannifin. And that's where that started. So I quoted the job. Uh, two years later, we were finally in production because it's bigger companies like that is painfully slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, dad kind of dragged his feet on, you know, working for a company that we don't work directly for Parker Hannifin because if we're not ISO 9000 certified. So we sell the parts to back to the steel company, but we ship directly to Parker Hannifin. So they supply us the raw cut material. We machine them and then we, we warehouse here in our facility until Parker places an order and then we ship the pallet of parts to them. Interesting. So we, we have shipments going out weekly. Um, I was actually just doing the math in the last three years that we've been, it was February of 17 that we started in production. And we've now went through 690,000 pounds of 4150 steel. That's raw material weight, not finished part weight. Wow. And so we have, yeah. So now they brought us some more work. Uh, A&M Castle did that is making the tubes for Reynolds aluminum foil. You know, the aluminum foil that you buy in the store, 12 yeah. inches wide. Uh, these are the coils that they coil that it's a core center for the coils of that aluminum foil. And they need 3,600 per year of the 12 inch. And then they have like 240, 18 inches, a hundred pieces of the 56 and then like 40, 76 inches. And we machine the OD of that too. The ID is already subscribed. So the ID is finished. And then we just chamfer the end and machine the OD. Interesting. Another one is uh, a 28 inch long shaft, two keyways drilled and tapped both ends, three and a half inch diameter. And that is for uh, Oler Lichen Fairfield out of Lafayette, Indiana. They recently got bought out by Dana Power Systems. And it's a, it's a, sh- a shaft that drives a fan for an HVAC air conditioning unit. Hmm. So I don't know. They must be a big AC unit to have a three and a half inch diameter fan shaft. But they went 5,000 of those shafts per year. And again, that's through NM Castle. So well, what happens is. Yeah. Castle metal size material, their customer can't get the parts or their, and then 
their yeah. customer comes to them and says, you know, find somebody to make these parts. And you must have some kind of magic going, though. I mean, you, it's it's not no. just, I mean, it's true. You well, build it and they will come, but, uh, you know, there well, there must be guess, there must be something know, special about it if about you guys if you're able to make it look easy. Um, yeah, Jay, first impressions does sell well. So I I have to go in a, in a minute. Um, sure, but uh, well, just one piece of advice if it helps any is read Dale Carnegie. So. Really, you're a big fan of Dale Carnegie, huh? I I, oh, I put that book bit. on Audible and I never downloaded it. I just read it like um, two months ago, and that book I think I should read at least once a year. But what, what, <laughs> what is it like? How to be uh, 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 make other people like you? Yeah, the title is How to Win Friends and Influence People, written by Dale Carnegie. And the awesome part is it was written in 1936. Yeah, and it's like there is some gold in there. It is. It is definitely is. It's an awesome book. Well, thank you, Jay. I have to. Uh, Great. I have to pack. I'm getting on a plane in two hours. <laughs> you better go. You better go. Security lines can be long. <laughs> Take it easy. Uh, have a great holiday. Yep. Same to you. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks.